You need winners? Let the sports advisor show you how to make money. General Manager Al DeMarco, a former sports reporter and contributor on Fox Sports, MSNBC, and Comcast Sports TV, brings over 25 years of handicapping experience to the table. Rick Torino, a 25-year handicapping expert, spent over a decade as a college and pro football editor at a national wire service. Together, they are the Sports Advisors, your number one source for winners. Week six of the college football season is upon us, and we've got seven plays that we absolutely love here for this Saturday card. We're going to break them down from every which way but loose. And guys, I'm Al DeMarco along with Rick Torino. And these games, as usual, we pick the games we want to discuss, but we never actually discuss them until the cameras go on and we start recording this show for you. And I've got to tell you guys, Rick is the hottest handicapper over at thesportsadvisors.com, entering week six action, 11 and four run with his NFL and college football releases, but most impressively, a perfect four for four with his top rated 100 dime releases in college football. None better, none easier than last Saturday's on TCU obliterating Oklahoma, a game that we discussed here on last Saturday's show, a game in which we both liked the Horn Frogs. You went on out on the limb, took TCU as your best bet, and my God, how easy was that one? Al, it's always nice to get an easy victory. We'll also be releasing another uh, play on Saturday that should be just as big as the previous weeks. But Al, if I can tell you, college football, the sport that always gives every week, Al, a couple of plays this weekend, a couple of teams from this past weekend. Georgia State got their first win, Al, grabbing eight points on the road at Army, 31-14. How about Boston College, a 13-and-a-half-point underdog at home, beats Louisville 34-33. That might be the end for Louisville's head football coach, Scott Satterfield. Illinois grabbing six-and-a-half on the road, defeats Wisconsin outright, 34-10. That was the end of Paul Christ. Here's one I know you'll like, Al. Our team, Temple, 3 nothing at halftime, getting 18-and-a-half, give up 24 in the second half, and don't cover the spread. Also, UConn, 20, UConn 23 at home from Fresno State, outright winner, 19-14. This one's going to hurt you, Al. Duke, minus 1-and-a-half, 38-17 winner over UVA in Durham. Final one, Al, Georgia Tech catching 21 at Pitt. De- defeat the Panthers, their first win, uh, breaking a nine-game losing streak to FBS opponents out in which they were outscored 210-20. to 20. I don't know what's going on with Pitt, but what a win for the, for the rambling wreck. I'll tell you what's going on with Pitt. Kenny Pickett's playing for the <laughs> Pittsburgh Steelers. That's what's going on for Pitt and Pat, Pat Narduzzi. And, and the reason, guys, I have to just fill in the backstory there. The reason Rick says, uh, made mention of the Duke-Virginia game is because after we did the show, and we record these on Tuesday night, last Wednesday, I text him and I say, how the hell is Duke not going to crush Virginia? And Rick texts me back something like, yeah, that number looks a little short. And of course, do I use Duke as my best bet last week? Of course not. I use Arkansas last Saturday as my best bet. Listen, total transparency here. I talk about the losses as much as I talk about the wins. And I always have in the history of my career in this business. So, you know, Arkansas gets obliterated, of course, in the first half at home against Alabama. They have that huge third quarter comeback. And then they get crushed in the fourth quarter and they fail to cover. They didn't deserve to win the game. 
And you know what happened with Duke absolutely destroying Virginia and they get the easy win and cover. Uh, same thing. I text you. Temple is uh, where I went to college. I've never been a big Temple fan, but I text Rick at halftime and I go, how are the Owls winning 3 nothing at Memphis? And they get a defensive stop, the first Memphis series. And then it all just went right downhill from there. <laughs> but that's college football for you. I mean, it's a great sport. It's a great way to make money. It's been a good season. Of course, unless you've been following my picks the last couple of Saturdays, getting backdoored when I had Tennessee uh, two Saturdays <laughs> oh, ago yeah, when right. Florida. Oh, that was a brutal one when Florida scored in the final minutes. But listen, we've got a bevy of good games here. Let's start with a team that we've talked about almost every single week. It's Maryland hosting Purdue. The Terrapins are a three-point favorite. We talked uh, about uh, Terrapins. You know, this is a team that generally starts the season fast. They pick up a lot of cheap wins, and they get into the heart of the conference schedule, and they lose all the games. And at the end of the year, they have to beat Rutgers in order to become bowl eligible. But this seems to be a different Maryland team. On the other hand, you've got a Purdue team that I think surprised both of us. Uh, we were texting back and forth when Minnesota, playing without their top running back last week, a double-digit favorite at home against the Boilermakers. Purdue beat them handily. Minnesota apparently a fraud after that 4-0 start. But here you have Maryland at home, only a three-point favorite. Which way are you leaning in this one? Al, I'm leaning a little toward the Terrapins. Should be a high-scoring game. As a matter of fact, looking at it, doing some research, I like the over at 58. We got the number two and number three total offense leaders in the Big Ten in Tungavailoa and Aiden O'Connor. Uh, 302 and 288. Tungavailoa is the number one passer in the Big Ten, at three, averaging 301 a game. Aiden O'Connor at 299. What a difference he made for Purdue last week. Purdue's tough on the road. They lost that tough one at Syracuse a few weeks back and then defeated Minnesota last week, uh, giving them their first loss of the year. I like the Terps at home again. Another short line. But, uh, you know, I think Maryland's going to score. I think Purdue will score. kind of like the over as well as the Terrapins. Yeah, I'm with you on Maryland. I'm kind of ambivalent about the total, although I can certainly see the logic in taking the over here. But I like the Terrapins here. I think they're not getting any respect. Purdue, although a more battle-tested team, though, I think, than Maryland after the tough last-minute loss to Penn State, the tough last-minute loss to Syracuse, they deserved to finally win a game, as they did last week against Minnesota. But this is a Purdue team that has not won back-to-back -back Big Ten road games in consecutive weeks since 2012. So winning on the highway outside of West Lafayette has certainly been elusive for the Boilermakers. And this Maryland team has been a moneymaker, four and one straight up and against the spread. They only lost to Michigan. We talked about how last week, Maryland going to hosting Michigan State, that the Spartans, not that good. We were against them a couple of weeks ago when they went out west and took on Washington. They got thumped. They got thumped again last week. Uh, and I mean, really thump Maryland outgame Michigan State, 489 to 321. Terrapins offense, 10 for 20 on third and fourth downs. Yeah, Mel Tucker, they are really rethinking that multi-million dollar big bucks contract they gave him in Spartan land. But I'm going to go with Maryland. They're on a nine and four ATS roll at home. And I think Maryland's a great play here. And again, that line sitting at three, anywhere between three and four and a half, I am always buying down the half point on the favorite. Again, I may be preaching to the choir because some of you will never buy into that. 
But in this situation, it's a strategy which I've employed over the years, which has turned more losses into pushes and more pushes into wins. But it's like drink, bringing a horse and trying to make him drink water. Sometimes you just can't make the dumb SOB do it. So listen, uh, the next game I think is very interesting. The first time this season we talked about Notre Dame for good reason, because they lost their first two games. But now they've won two straight. Part of the Shamrock series, they're out in Las Vegas playing at the Raiders, Allegiant Stadium. They are surprisingly, to me at least, at first glance, a three-and-a-half-point favorite over BYU. We've talked about BYU here a couple of times. Uh, you had a big 100-dime play on BYU when they were hosting Baylor in uh, week three or week two of the season. I'm going to get your input on this one first. Well, Al, I don't know. This game, just uh, not getting much of a feeling for it. It is the Shamrock Series. Notre Dame will be uh, donning their all-white uniforms, ice uniforms that they'll be wearing out in Las Vegas. And uh, you know a great crowd because Notre Dame travels. BYU so close to Vegas. This is a series that Notre Dame's 9-0 and in. Some of the other venues have been Yankee Stadium, Fenway Park, Soldier Field. You know, it's all everybody wants to see Notre Dame. New York, wherever they go, San Antonio, wherever Notre Dame goes, Pete at that place will be sold out. I don't know, Al. I, I'm, I'm shaky of Notre Dame's offense. You know, really, when you look back at that Cal game, they were lucky. That kid almost had that ball in the end zone at the end of the game. Notre Dame doesn't have many offensive weapons, except the one weapon I consider they do have is the big tight end, Michael Mayer, who probably the best will be the best offensive player for Notre Dame on the field. 22 for 233 yards this year, three touchdowns. Drew Pine gets the start, 567 yards. Um, and, of course, Jaron Hall for BYU is an exceptional athlete. He'll give Notre Dame some problems. If I have a slight lean, I guess I got to go Notre Dame. But early out. I'm not not I don't have really a favorite a, a favorite play in this game. Yeah, it is a very, very tough game to handicap. And you're right. Both teams travel well. BYU goes to Las Vegas and will bring a bring a big crowd as well. Uh, and I don't know what to make of this Notre Dame team because of the injuries at quarterback with Pine now manning the helm. Uh, he had a nice game against North Carolina the last time out. But. North Carolina has absolutely no defense. So to say that, hey, this guy had, you know, 289 yards and three touchdowns, but big deal. Uh, you know, I, I look at BYU. I'm a little concerned that their wide receiver core is still banged up. Uh, one of their top running backs. I don't know if he's going to play this week. And this Notre Dame team, they, they lost at Ohio State. They lost at home to Marshall. And then beating Cal in North Carolina, eh. Not that impressive. I, I will say that, you know, at least BYU has played some much tougher competition. Beating Pia Baylor at home in double overtime, going to Oregon, that was a clear letdown situation. I'm inclined at three and a half to maybe grab the points with BYU, but this is of the seven games we decided to uh, talk about today, I think this is definitely the toughest one. So I'm a little in favor of taking the underdog, but Sometimes I like to say, you know, the marquee games, the ones that have the most interest in terms of a TV perspective are the toughest games to handicap, the toughest games to make money on. I like to concentrate the most where the odds makers concentrate the least. This nationally televised game is not one of them. So lean toward BYU, the opposite side of you, but not a game that I would want to put money on. Now, these two teams, this next game, 
We have talked about repeatedly almost every single week this season that we have been on the money with our predictions almost every single week. I don't think we've lost a game involving TCU and Kansas. So here we go. TCU, your best bet last Saturday, a seven-point favorite in Lawrence against Kansas. TCU 4-0, Kansas 5-0. You had the Horned Frogs last week. Are you going to give Sonny Dykes some love again this week? I'll tell you what, Al, this is a great story in Kansas. Game day there for the first time ever. So uh, Lawrence will be just rock chalking all, all Saturday leading up to kickoff. Nationally televised game. Kansas now in the top 25. I believe they came in at 19. TCU at 17. Al, just think this one in. Ready? Since 2002, Kansas is 8 and 206 against the Big 12. Let that one sink in for a little. <laughs> Eight and 206 versus Big 12 opponents since 2002. But, um, you know, they, and, and believe it or not, they've covered the last eight games dating back to last season. They're on an 8-0 and run. But, Al, I watched TCU last week against Oklahoma. They were very impressive. A lot of athletes on offense, wide receivers. Dugan is really playing well. One of the top five quarterbacks in the country, at least in my estimation. Looks really well. Um, I like the line, Al, when it was at five. Uh, I'm going to still surrender those seven points. I got to take TCU. I watched Kansas. Iowa State really shut down the quarterback, Jalen Daniels. He's their offense. Watched a lot of the Kansas game, Al, and I was not impressed with their offense. Glad they won, but realistically, Al, they probably shouldn't have won since Iowa State did miss three field goals by a freshman kicker, two that hit the two that hit the goalpost, and one that was way left at the end of the game to secure the victory for the Jayhawks. So, Al, I'm going to lean to TCU, laying the seven points. I'm with you. I like TCU as well. I watched both of those games last week, just like you did. You know, and I was all over Kansas against uh, Duke a couple of Saturdays ago. And I remember watching that game and Duke with their quarterback, uh, Riley Leonard. And Duke is far less talented than TCU. Duke marched up and down the field against that Kansas defense because Leonard was pretty much a one-man show, threw for 324 yards, ran for 54 yards, and Duke had 463 uh, yards of total offense in that 35-27 loss in Lawrence. And you're right. Last week, Kansas was very fortunate to escape with that 14-11 win against Iowa State. They only had 213 yards of total offense. And Jalen Daniels, first time this season, just had a eh, game, 93 yards passing. And uh, Kansas really couldn't get its running game going either. I think they only had 112 net yards in that contest. I look at what Max Dugan did against Oklahoma. And I've seen what he has done all season long. So when... Um, uh, Morris, the uh, guy who started the season for him, uh, not Chad Morris. I can't remember his first name. The Chandler. coach's son, Chandler. Right. Chandler. When he went down with the leg injury, I wasn't all concerned. We talked about it early in the season because I saw Max Dugan play so much last year. I thought he was a better choice for this offense, and he certainly responded, as you said, seventy-five percent completions, almost a thousand yards, eleven touchdowns. But he's got that mobility too. He's averaging six point five yards per carry. He's a big, strong guy. And I think TCU is going to expose Kansas a little bit here. I think the betting public's going to jump all over Kansas and grab the points. So if you're in favor of TCU, I think you wait. Well, of course, we're 
doing this show on Tuesday night. I think you wait till closer to game time. I think this line may come down to six and a half, may come even down to six. But either way, I'm buying down the half point at seven down on TCU. And that's the way I'm going with the Horn Frogs. So we're both in agreement on that one. And I know you probably noticed, Al, that the, as soon as that line came out at five, you know, the everybody, the smart ones jumped on it right away, bet it up to seven. Let's hope it comes down a little. But like I said, I like TCU. And like you said, Dugan, great game last week, both passing in and using his legs as well. Big kid, strong runner, too. Back to the SEC we go. And I think we do SEC and Pac-12 games I'm more than any other conference here on these shows each and every week. But why not? Especially the SEC. We've got Tennessee. Minus three in Death Valley against LSU, a game that is not being played on Saturday night. Instead, it's an early kickoff. And I've got to tell you, I am shocked that the Volunteers, undefeated, are only a three-point favorite against Brian Kelly's Tigers. How about you? Are you, Al? I'm surprised. I, I don't know, Al. The line when I saw it, I didn't know what way it was going to go. Maybe a little closer to a pick em. But uh, the three points, I mean, LSU has won four in a row since that opening week loss to Florida State. Um, trailed Auburn 17 nothing last week, but Auburn's offense and defense is just woeful. But not that LSU did that much. They got a lot of breaks from Auburn. You know, and Tennessee comes in now, first big road test of the year. You know, now, now the brutal schedule starts for Tennessee. We got LSU next week, Alabama, and still yet Georgia and Kentucky yet. So we're really going to see what they're made of. You know, the key to the game for Tennessee, obviously, is quarterback Hendon Hooker, who's just been an unbelievable player this year, should be mentioned as far as a Heisman Trophy candidate. Uh, laying the three, you know, I, I don't know if, if LSU is going to be able to stop that Tennessee offense, but I do have a feeling that Tennessee could stop the, LSU, the LSU's offense. Um, so I'm going to I'm going to take a slight lean toward the volunteers in this one. Look for them to get a big road win uh, as they get ready for Alabama next week. This is what I love about the fact, as I told you at the start of the show and every show, that we don't talk about these games in advance. See, I would have thought you, a lifelong Tennessee fan from the 30 <laughs> years that I've known you, you would have been all over the volunteers in this spot. I think Tennessee, the best thing going for the volunteers here is they're coming off a bye week. If this game had immediately followed their big, big, emotionally draining victory over Florida, a series that had been dominated for a couple of hundred years by the Gators, and I'm embellishing, of course, this would be a prime letdown. But coming off the bye, it gives that program and the players a chance to catch their breath, to reset. Now, they did go and win at Pittsburgh in overtime in a big revenge-fueled situation earlier in their only other road game. As you said, though, big SEC road opener. I have just been not impressed by LSU. The fact that you beat no. Auburn 21 to 17, great. But the fact that you fell down 17 to nothing and you only won because of some ridiculous play calling by Brian Harson, the Auburn head coach, and your defense allowed Auburn, a team that can't throw the ball, to put up 337 yards through the air. Well, that's all good news for Tennessee as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, I think, you know, I, it's just something, though, in Death Valley and winning an SEC game and covering on the road uh, for Tennessee in this spot. Um, they haven't found themselves in this spot often as a road favorite, um, so it's a different uh, spot for them. But uh, I'll agree with you. I, it sounds like you like them a little more than I do, which is, which is fine with me. Well, you know, it's, it's not like Josh and the Volunteers owe me one after what they did in that <laughs> – 
last minute collapse against Florida two weeks ago. Oh, my God. Uh, the other thing to be aware of. And again, we're doing this on Tuesday night. Uh, Jaden Daniels did not play well uh, against Auburn because he came into that contest with a back strain. Then he left the Auburn game because of a knee injury. Their passing attack was miserable when he was in and when he was out. So without him or without him being at 100%, I don't see how LSU moves the ball. And I also, just one final note about this line. I think the line is priced this way because of the Brian Kelly factor. Well, Brian isn't down there playing the game. He isn't bringing some of his best Notre Dame teams to play this game either. And you're right, Tennessee, this is not a situation the volunteers have been in probably for over a decade. So to see them in this unusual spot laying points in Death Valley, thank God it's not a Saturday night game. That's the best news. Uh, Oh, my, this is going to be an interesting (laughs) game. The Red River rivalry at the Cotton Bowl, Texas and Oklahoma, both teams unranked heading into this annual showdown for the first time since 1998. And Texas is a seven-point favorite. And as we do the show, I can't tell you who the hell's quarterbacking for either team. Yeah, I was wondering if you had any update on Dylan Gabriel, the Oklahoma quarterback. No, no I, okay. I, I I checked I earlier today. and Right, because he's in concussion protocol. And as of right. this afternoon, before we went on, I don't know if he's going to be available, but how about for Texas? I mean, you know, Sark is playing it close to the best. I mean, you know, Hudson Card had that career high 303 yards and three touchdowns at 21 to 27 against Texas Tech. But he may not be starting this week, which I think it would be foolish if they go back to the other guy who hasn't played in, what, five weeks since the Alabama loss? Yeah, I heard that uh, yours should be available. It's just going to be a game-time decision, I I guess, on who's going to start out. But that Oklahoma defense last week was just unbelievable. 668 yards of total offense. I remember watching the one play out, such a blown coverage right before halftime. Number 27 caught the pass for TCU, ran it in. I don't know, a minute or two left in that. And they showed the defensive core, Oklahoma's defensive coordinator, Ted Roof, who's been a longtime uh, defensive coordinator with so many schools in the NCAA. They showed him in the press box out like this. He just couldn't believe what he just couldn't believe what he was watching. The guy was so wide open from 45 yards out and ran it in. And by that time, that put it away. The other thing, Al, is is if Gabriel was there, as much as I was so against Oklahoma last week, I might have kind of grabbed the points with Oklahoma. This series is usually close. Um, the last few years, it's just it's since 2014, the game's been decided by a total of eight points, just one less, just one time. I don't know, but without Gabriel there, and we saw that kid play last week, this was the same kid that played for Pitt last year when Pickett got hurt in the Peach Bowl and did nothing against Michigan State. So knowing Gabriel will say he's not going to be there, I'll lay the seven with Texas because I know at least if I don't get yours, I'm going to get Houston card. So that's the way I'm going. Plus, we got the good ground game of Texas with B. John Robinson. And TCU was running all over Texas, was running all over Oklahoma last week as well. Exactly. I mean, listen, Robinson this year is averaging 5.9 yards a carry. And last year, uh, he averaged 6.9 yards a carry against the Sooners, 20 carries, 137 yards. Of course, last year, Longhorn fans are still having uh, 
you know, PTSD from that uh, game when the Longhorns were up 28 to seven, and then they ended up losing 55 yep. to 48. Yep. And that really was the game that put Sark in the uh, doghouse. And many thought that he wouldn't even survive one season in Austin, but he did. He has. Uh, I was impressed with the way the Longhorns, after blowing it in overtime, on Robinson's fumble on Texas Tech, which gave the Red Raiders that miraculous come-from-behind victory. Uh, they came out and they thumped a bad West Virginia team last week at home. And you see a 38-20 to 20 final score, but, you know, they were up big in that game before West Virginia scored a bunch of garbage points late. So I'm with you not knowing anything. I'd probably lean toward taking Texas in this game because uh, – you know, Dylan, I can't imagine Dylan Gabriel is suddenly going to make this miraculous recovery. And as we've seen how the concussion uh, situation has become for, to a forefront here uh, because of the NFL situation with the Dolphins quarterback, um, nobody is going to rush anyone back into action until anyone is safe nowadays. And that's the way it should be. But more importantly, you are not going to fix that's Sooner's defense. Yeah. It was bad last year, and it's dreadful this year. And, you know, Ted Roof was never a good defensive coordinator, any of his stops, anywhere else. And let's face it, he's uh, he's just uh, the de facto defensive coordinator. It's Brent Venables who's calling the shots there. Yeah. That's where yeah. he made his bones in Clemson, and he hasn't done anything. Uh, this Oklahoma defense is not going to get that much better. So if I had to play it, I'm going to have to go ahead and take Texas – Minus the points. It's one of those games, Rick, you know, that if you're not sure in this particular spot, you might be better off taking Texas in a two-team seven-point teaser. If you like the Longhorns just to win the game outright, yeah, yeah. this is this is the way you might want to go in this particular spot and find somebody else to hook them up with, no pun intended. Uh, so, <laughs> oh, God. Okay, now let's finish this off with two games, big games, out in the Pac-12. You've got Utah. Minus four and a half at UCLA. Chip Kelly rolling along five and zero start after beating up Washington on Friday night, forty to thirty-two. A game where they were up forty to sixteen, so it was never close. Uh, Utah, meanwhile, uh, has won four straight since blowing it at Florida in their season opener. They dominated Oregon State at home, forty-two to sixteen. Uh, we were texting about that game. Uh, the Beavers, four interceptions, two of them in the uh, red zone in that one. So they pretty much gift-wrapped the Utes to victory in that contest. Yeah, uh, this is uh, this falls into one of my trends with UCLA and Utah. Uh, the Bruins uh, snapped an 11-game losing streak to top 15 opponents when they defeated Washington on Friday night. And, boy, they looked good against the Huskies. You know, that's all you heard about was Washington's quarterback, Penix, Penix, Penix. But, uh, you know, they even mentioned that he was a Heisman Trophy candidate. Well, that, he had a good game, but that soon went out the door after that game. But Washington, UCLA, very balanced attack. So Zach Charbonneau, the transfer from Michigan, 124 yards last week against Washington. The kid I really like, Al, this kid, Duke transfer, wide receiver Jake Bobo. Six catches, 142 yards, and two touchdowns. 6'5", kid. The NFL scouts are going to discover him soon, but he had a big game. And, of course, you can't forget Dorian Thompson-Robinson, who threw for 315 and three touchdowns. Uh, first 5-0 and start for the Bruins since 2013. I, I think they have it cooking out in Westwood out there, Al. I, I like UCLA come uh, on Saturday.
in the Rose Bowl. The only thing I'm hoping out is that they can fill that Rose Bowl with some crowds like they get in BYU, like they get in, in Baylor and other, you know, like they got in TCU. You know, that's what I'm hoping for. We'll wait and see on that, though. Well, you know, the Rose Bowl has been such a poor draw for the Bruins here for the last couple of years. They've had the blue tarps and covering most of the upper deck. So the capacity for UCLA football has been capped at like 55 or 57,000 for the last few seasons. They were talking about the fact that after winning Friday night, they may have to remove some of the blue tarps. It's about time because this this seemingly is a damn good team. You're right about DTR, who's been, I think he's going on his seventh or eighth season as UCLA starting quarterback. I'm joking here, sarcastically, guys. But off to a nice start, averaging 7.2 yards per carry, uh, hitting 74% of his passes, 11 touchdowns. It's a nice offense. It's not the offense that Chip Kelly ran at Oregon, not even close nope. to that. It's more of a pro-style offense, you know, that he uh, ran with his uh, during his days with the Eagles, let's say. Uh, the thing that I don't uh, understand in this game is why Utah is a four-and-a-half-point favorite. I, I thought UCLA should be favored in this game, or, or worst-case scenario, this should be a pick em. I I look at Utah, and Oregon State gave him that win. And the thing that concerns me most about Utah is that, and I mentioned this last week going into the Oregon State game, that I couldn't get involved with the Utes right now because uh, Tavian and T Thomas, their running back from last year, who ran for 1,100 yards, 21 touchdowns, averaged 5.4 yards per carry. Uh, you want to say that he's in Kyle Whittingham's doghouse. You want to say that his playing time has been reduced. You want to say that he's slipped down the uh, – the the uh, you know the depth chart whatever it is he is not getting much play right now and against Oregon State last week he had six carries for 13 yards this Utah State team or Utah team doesn't run well unless Thomas is getting his 17 to 22 carries a game and right now he can't even get in the game so it's Cam rising and that's about it <laughs> so. You know, you're not going to win doing that. And I still have flashbacks at how poorly Utah played in the swamp when they couldn't stop the run against a mediocre Florida team. So that, I'm with you. That, that's a good point, Al. Uh, I think UCLA much more balanced team than than Florida was. Like, And you had mentioned last week, Al, about Utah losing one of their top offensive players, the tight end. Their passing game last week, I mean, they had no wide receivers at times to throw to. Um, but the tight end, he's he's a big player for them, and he, he's gone. And you know how we mentioned revenge, and we, we mentioned it a lot. UCLA's coming in with five-time revenge as Utah has won his 5-0 straight up and against the spread in the last uh, five meetings. Uh, UCLA 9-1 in the conference in the last 10 revenge games. So uh, this this should be a big one for UCLA. I mean, you know, this this is the one that'll put them on the map. Okay, before we get to the last game, you've seen it. If you've been watching us online, you've seen the scroll at the bottom of the page. Let me just remind you that if you want to get Rick's latest 109 best bet for Saturday in college football, perfect 4-0, you want to get my play all the plays of all the handicappers over at the sportsadvisors.com to do so, you can get them for free simply by using the one day free all access pass. Guys, it's our way of showing you what's behind the curtain, shall we say. 
You get all our plays, all our analysis. In fact, you don't want a Saturday. Maybe you want Sunday's NFL. You pick the day. It's a $99 value. If you were to buy all the handicappers, 10 or more of them separately, it would cost you well over $1,000. You get it for free over at thesportsadvisors.com. We do it, and we've been doing it for near 20 years now. We're the only people in the entire industry to do it because it gives you an opportunity to see what we do, how we do it, our thoughts going into the games, and our analysis on the games. And what better way to do it because it's free. The only way you lose is if you don't take advantage of this absolutely free offer. Again, it's the one day free all access pass over at thesportsadvisors.com. Well, let's wrap it up and stay in the Pac-12, about two teams that we've talked about frequently here. USC, a double-digit chalk, what a big surprise. At home, laying 13 against Washington State. Uh, the Trojans, 5-0, and but a very sloppy performance against the bad Arizona State team, 42-25. to Washington State, we have been talking about them all season long, uh, bounced back from their first loss, and boy, was that a a uh, crushing loss when they lost a couple of weeks ago against Oregon in the final minutes. But they came right back after that 44-41 loss to the Ducks, and they hammered California 28-9 at home. Too many points for the Trojans to be laying here, Rick? Well, Al, this is a game that started out last year. Washington State jumped out to a 14-0 lead before USC rattled off 45 straight points to win that game up in Pullman. I like, I'm going to like Washington State this week. USC 0-2 the last two, two weeks, did not cover at Oregon State, did not cover last week against Arizona State. What could make the difference in this game is uh, Washington State has a great linebacker, Dalen Henley, who leads the Pac-10 in tackles for loss and is third in sacks and, leads, and is third in tackles in the Pac-10, in the Pac-12. He could make a difference because we know they can put some uh, points on the board with the quarterback, Cameron Ward. I, I think uh, they can hang with USC. They can. I think they'll be able to get put some points on the board. I'm not predicting an out, outright victory, but I think they can stay within the 12 or 13 points that Vegas has given them. Well, that Cougar defense, 18 sacks and 45 tackles for loss already this season. Um, and Washington State's on a 6-1 and one roll, getting points uh, going back to last year. Second road game, their first one, they upset Wisconsin 17-14 to at Camp Randall. You mentioned Cam Ward, uh, you know, a guy who is a mobile quarterback with a good arm. I look at what Emory Jones, the ex-Florida quarterback, and now starts for Arizona State, uh, did last week. He gave the USC defense some trouble. Uh, Cam Ward, the good and the bad. He can put some big numbers up on the board. He has a big arm, but he's also somewhat inconsistent and erratic seven interceptions in the past four games along with his 10 touchdown passes but i just go back to that usc defense which we knew was not going to be good because the transfer portal was very very good to lincoln riley and the offense but the transfer portal brought no gifts from santa claus for that usc defense and although Alex Grinch has been lucky because the USC defense has been opportunistic and through turnovers has produced uh, over 70-some points through the 5-0 and start, it doesn't get a hell of a lot of stops. Uh, in fact, Arizona State had 331 yards, and they were 8 for 14 on third and fourth downs. And Arizona State is a bad, yeah. bad team, which is why Herm Edwards is no longer there. That and other reasons, of course, we don't have to go into. But, yeah, I think Washington State plus the points, I, that's just a big number here uh, to get with the Cougars. Yeah, there's one kid I, I got to tell you. There's one kid I like for Southern Cal. 
Um, I don't know if you've watched him play at all this year. They got a middle linebacker, 6'6", 200 pounds out. He looks like a he should be on like a forward on the basketball team. And he's from Philly. He was, and he's a transfer from Arizona State, but originally played for Newman Garetti out here in the Philadelphia Catholic League. But 6'6", 200 pounds, and he he is one of their good players on defense. Very opportunistic player. Had a big, he's the one that had a big interception against Oregon State two weeks ago. I just find, I, he intrigues me at that position with those measurements. 6'6", six, six and 200. You think he'd be starting, you know, at cornerback or safety. It's, exactly. That's just such a, yeah. it's such a bizarre number or wide yeah. receiver, my God. But, okay, listen, guys, that wraps up this week's show. You've found an all our plays. Make sure you check out the free all-access pass over at sportsadvisors.com. And make sure you subscribe to the channel if you happen to be watching the video on YouTube so you can always be alerted to when we update and have our next show available. And remember, we also have the NFL version of this show, which I host along with Steve Budin. And for Rick Torino, I'm Al DeMarco. We wish you well, and we'll catch you next week right here from the sportsadvisors.com.